guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. All right, guys. So today we have Lindsay Vaughn on the podcast. And by the way, I, I, I was yapping before, but I didn't even say how excited I am to have you here because yeah. no, because if, talk about like we do all sorts of people on the, like the best in the world, or like the, in the world come on this podcast, but you are legit like the best in the world <laughs> at like downhill skiing. And I got to tell you, I, I don't know any other person that does what you do, like in the sport, like you've actually made it, I think, popular and famous. Like I, I don't know. Is, am I the only one? Because I don't know. Like, I really feel like I know you, like you're such an icon in your sport, like an adrenaline junkie. Have you always had that type of like that adrenaline junkiness in it? Like, tell me like how you started, how you became you really. Uh, I mean, I, I started skiing because I loved skiing. You know, I didn't get into racing because I was an adrenaline junkie. I just, I think I always pushed the limits. Like I was always climbing trees when I was a kid. Like, you know, I was always horsing around and doing things that I was told not to do. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I think as I progressed in my skiing career, you know, I, I, there's different disciplines in skiing. And as I grew older and, and started doing downhill, which was obviously the fastest in the sport, I loved it. Like the faster I went, the, the happier I was. And since then, you know, I'm especially now in retirement, like I just do whatever adrenaline thing I can find, you know, whether it's wake surfing or e-foiling or like whatever, you know, jet skiing. I'm just like always trying to find something that, you know, gives me that adrenaline. But like nothing would ever come out. You go down like what, 84 miles, 80, I heard like your highest was 84 miles yeah. an hour. Like that's that been fa- clocked. Yeah. That's crazy. Like it's that's awesome. It's fun. I'd say it's really fun. It's really, really fun. I mean, like how, like, how do you even work up to that? Like, I don't even know what can even compare. Like if you are an adrenaline junkie, like yeah. going jet skiing is not even close to that. Like I can go of, jet skiing. I can't go downhill skiing. I mean, it's kind of like driving a car, right? If you're always on the highway, yeah. you're used to driving fast. Right. Yeah. And you see, you know, you see things coming and you can, you know, kind of anticipate what their drivers are doing. It's very similar to skiing. You know, if you're used to going fast, that's your natural speed. And that's why training is important for downhill because you need to go fast. But that just like, that's my natural habitat. (laughs) It's going fast. (laughs) It really is like your natural habitat. So, okay. Can you start by telling, I mean, my audience, I mean, most people, if you're if you're not living under a rock, but like <laughs> if they, if they are, how did you kind of begin this, this path? Like I start from, I think you were nine years old and you met like your, your role model. Yeah. And then what happened? So I met Peekaboo Street who she's won, she won the Olympics in 98. And at that time, I think she had won a silver medal from Lillehammer, the Olympics before, but she was the only person that I really knew in skiing and skiing wasn't on TV. So like we used to get the VHS tapes of like all the winning runs, you know, of the season. Yeah. And so, you know, to actually see someone from your sport live in person, like this kind of mythical, you know, superhero. It was amazing. And seeing her made me want to be a skier. You know, it made it cool. It made it tangible, made it something for me to look look up to. And so after I met her, I, I came home and from the ski shop, I, it was like an autograph signing. And I said, Dad, I want to be in the Olympics. And he, you know, straight faced, he, he didn't even like smirk or laugh. He's like, okay, but you know, it's going to be really hard. Are you ready? And I'm like, I'm ready. Let's do it. So he literally sat down with me and we made like a 10 year plan. 
of like I how it was going to make the Olympics. And because uh, the next Olympics I would be eligible for would be, would be Salt Lake City. 2002, I was 17 years old. So my family moved heaven and earth and we moved to Colorado so that I could, you know, pursue this crazy dream. And, and then I made it. And then it worked out. It worked out. So before you were nine, were you already skiing? Uh, if, if this person was your role model, your idol, were you already skiing a lot? At, yeah. At like three, four. What, what age did you actually put the first pair of skis on? It's like two and a half. And then before wow. that, I was actually in a backpack. That's probably illegal now, but my, I was in a backpack while my dad was coaching. Wow. So, because he was going to law school and he was coaching on the side. So, I would be like in his backpack. You know, he was skiing around. Really? Yeah. So I was like always on the on the mountain, one way or the other. Um, and then I started racing when I was about seven. Um, started traveling to actual ski camps in the summer when I was seven. When I was nine, I went to summer camp by myself in Austria with my team. Oh so, my gosh! Yeah, and that's so, when it kind of started to take off. So did they know that you were kind of a prodigy already when you were six and seven, five? Like, or you're just like kind of like every other kid? No, it was like every other kid. I loved it. And I guess my dad tells a story that um, he came to one of my camps in Oregon and it was raining and lightning and all the lifts had shut down because there was lightning. And I was out there on the mountain hiking, hiking up the mountain, skiing down, hiking up the mountain, skiing down because no one was out there. I was like, this is perfect. I have wow. the mountain to myself. I can train all day long and no one's here. And my dad says, you know, it's like, it was that moment that I thought maybe you have something because I'm nine years old, like out there. I mean, I literally could wring like buckets of water out of my clothes wow. after I was done, but I was happy. I was so happy out being out there. So that's always like the question I always wonder and ask people, right? Like, is it something that's innate in you already or is it something that you can work on? Like you already had that work ethic and passion, right? Like you did, because if you were doing that at six years old, I mean, everything else is kind of, it's easy to continue and be motivated when you have that. Yeah. What's your opinion? Do you think that someone could kind of create that type of drive or is it more innate in them? I think it's a combination of, you know, environment cultivation and what you're innately given. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at my family, I'm the oldest of five kids. Right. We all turned out very differently. Really? Even though we had, you know, the same parents and, you know, relatively same upbringing. You know, I, my sister and I, who were closest to each other, were four years apart. My dad jokes that, you know, we wake up eating raw meat like we are like hungry we're ready to go you know like we're totally, we're tenacious yes, you know yes. and you know the triplets don't have the same drive they're very talented they're very smart but it's not that competitive drive my sister has it more in business mm -hmm. than in like she's not as physical as i am like right. i'm obviously more of an i'm an athlete right but you know so if you think about the environment we grew up the same you know the same opportunities and I'm the only one that really became a skier. Like my brother loved it, but, you know, he never really truly pursued it. So, you know, I think it was I was innately talented. Right. I had a drive within me. I loved doing it. And I was cultivated by my parents, by my grandparents, like looking at my my grandparents and parents as role models, you know, how hard they worked. And, you know, that, you know, there was so much available to me. I, there's never a. My family doesn't quit. You know, we're we're very driven, driven people. And I look at my grandfather and, you know, he would I would spend every summer with them, my grandparents. And, you know, he was 
basically a construction worker and he left the house before I woke up and he got back yeah. right before we were going to bed and he just smelled of grease and sweat and he worked so hard. My grandma, my grandmother would wait up for him every night and have a bowl of ice cream waiting oh, for him, cute. which is like the cutest, but it just that type of work ethic, yeah. you know, you see that every day and my siblings saw it, but it didn't really sink in the same way as it right. did with me. So I, I don't know. I think it's a combination of everything, but you can't push, you can't, you can only lead someone to water. You know, you can't push someone into it. My, my siblings were all very, very talented, but I'm the only one that became a skier. So it's. So that's really, that's, that's so interesting. Cause I mean, by the way, side note, do you know that you're, well, do you know, of course, you know, you wrote a book called strong is a new beautiful a year after I wrote a book called strong is a new skinny. Oh, really? Yes. And they were both bestsellers, but yeah, not funny. And I, yeah. I, I never, I never got a chance to tell you that, but that's like, funny. Yeah, I forgot to mention oh my when I saw you. Yes. Isn't that funny? We'll have to like trade books. I know. I was yeah. going to say like, and I keep on forgetting. And then like, again, when I was reading your stuff, I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot about that. And so I thought that was very funny. Um, but, and I, and I, I know it's not kind of, yeah, really, it's really funny. But what I, I was going to say, I digress, but I was going to, I was going to say that I'm a big believer that talent is, is only a small piece yeah. it really is what you do with it there's a lot of people who are talented that that basically waste it there are a lot of people who are super smart but they're not gritty enough and don't have the drive to go after it so like it's it's the people that ha you could have just a morsel of talent but if you have the ethic and work ethic you can go like to like crazy places yeah. like, like you did like you said your family like your sister what do your brothers and sisters do now are they in business then or what do they do um my sister that's closest to me has her own social media branding company oh, okay my other brother is an architect my other brother is a paralegal and my sister is a consultant for philanthropy so oh wow yeah, yeah. so then your dad you said was also a downhill skier yeah and what happened to him did he never make it to as far as you obviously yeah he thought. he blew his knee out when he was 18 yeah like he was junior national champion he was on a, an amazing you know trajectory and he blew his knee out wow. and at that time you know that was that was it he went to the best guy at the time who was doing like all the green bay packer um surgeries he was you know from wisconsin and uh and yeah that that's you know that's a career ender at that point. So he became a lawyer, a litigator, one of the best in the country. And really, yeah, he's he's uh, he's very driven, very driven. I definitely get that from him. Wow. So you definitely take after your dad. Is your yeah. mom like that then? Or my mom's very driven. She, I mean, she's incredibly smart. She she went to she actually was the reason my dad made it through law school. She's you know she's incredibly smart. She's also very talented as well physically like she was great at squash and tennis and you know she was just you know an amazing athlete but yeah i think i get my mom's positivity more so than anything else like how did you like okay so what was the training like back then like what was your day like when you were 10 11 12 going, going to before going to salt lake like walk me through a day in the life of a of you well, I mean, I didn't leave a normal life. So. I know. Well, when my when I'm uh, so 12, you know, my, my mom and I moved to Colorado. We had an apartment like we just went out for the winter so I could train, uh, train in Vail. I went to an academy kind of part time and the rest of my siblings were at home with my dad. And it was a really wow. challenging time. And then eventually the next year we moved out, like all of us moved out there together, except my dad was still working in Minnesota. So he was commuting almost every week back and forth from Minnesota to Colorado. Wow. I mean, I can't tell you how many, it's about 17 and a half hours from Minnesota to Colorado driving. 
Uh, we did that many, many times. My mom like raced back one night so I could make my middle school end of year party at the Six Flags. Are you <laughs> serious? Yeah, she drove through the night, like straight through the night. And we literally rolled up to Six Flags. Oh my God, that is so cute. <laughs> and I got though. out of the car, like, with all our like candy, you know, like keeping us awake. And I, I rolled in and it was, my mom was the best. That's a, so I always hear these stories about people like yourself who had a really supportive family that if it wasn't for the family unit being strong like that and do like, sacrificing, like it sounds like your family yeah. did for you. Like, then you then of course thankfully it paid off for you so what would happen so you'd move there like what time would you have to wake up how many hours are you skiing like what how many hours are you spending on technique like what is the tactical i want to know like tactile like what is the things that you're practically doing daily to give people an idea like how much hard work went into it well when i was a teenager i mean it was all still very strategic from like my dad's 10-year plan right it was about kind of building up to the right races at the right time so you know, my preparation period was, you know, summer, we would go to, you know, Mount Hood in Oregon, I would train for like six, seven weeks, I would ski, I would, we would literally be up before six o'clock every day, be on the mountain, at like seven, seven thirty, and train until the snow was too soft to, to, to ski. Then we'd have lunch, I'd take a nap, we do dryland training. So working out and then we watch video. Um, that's I'm like, you know, wow, that's already what I was at nine years old. And that, so that's how many hours before the snow you said would go down? Like oh, five yeah. hours, four hours? Yeah, probably five hours. Yeah. So five hours of skiing and then how long dry land workouts? Two? Um, yeah, an hour, an hour to two hours. It depended. I mean, in summer camp, like when I was a kid, we would go on hikes, you know, and like there's this really long hike that takes you up to a lake and, you know, we would do games and things like that. It wasn't you know, incredibly difficult when I was a kid. But, you know, obviously, as I progressed and got older, the physical training got quite a bit harder. You know, the the, yeah. the on snow stuff was pretty similar. You're always working on technique, doing drills, doing training. That's that's all the same. But the physicality, you know, off the mountain got a lot harder. And when, when I was 15, I had to make the U.S. ski team and there's a physical test you have to pass. So my dad you know, I had me doing 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups every day, mandatory. And then on the weekends, I would go on the track, the high school next to the house, and I would run a mile. There's like different tests. I would do sprints, 440, you know, all those no, things. No, no, say what they are. I think this is like... It's like 40-yard dash, like the 100, the 400, you know, like... For that, speed stuff. Yeah. Speed. It's like there was a... And they don't have it anymore, but it was kind of a, in some ways, rudimentary, you know, test. It was like, how many push-ups can you do in 60 seconds? You know, like... It's kind of silly, but at that time, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any structured training. Right. So, you know, it was, it was a hard thing for me to do. And at that point, you know, I realized I needed to shift gears and, and do a lot more than I was to really make it to the next level. And then when I made the team, that's when it drastically changed because changed because they gave me a program that was the same as like a 27 year old. And I was like, I don't know what I'm right, right, right. doing. I'm doing like power cleans and I don't know how to you do. You were doing power cleans at 15? Yeah. Get out. Yeah. And I, 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 I gained a lot of weight. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, it was, there was a lot of new things that were going totally, on. Yeah. And they also made me live in Park City, Utah, because it was right before the 2002 Olympics and they kind of had everyone mandatory living out there. So it was, it there was a lot going on and a lot of sacrifice and, you know, a lot of me being away. And, and also without your parents, you know, like I was, so if you think about it, I've been traveling away from my parents since I was nine years old. Yeah. With a lot of, 
unsupervised time. Um, So I kind of had to figure my way out through life, you know, on my own uh, to a large degree. Um, Yeah. Like you were independent, like by yourself. Yeah. so then you had to like legit like give up everything in your life, like yeah. social life. Like- I had no friends. I never went to any proms or dances or like I never I, – I maybe had like three sleepovers my whole life. Like I never – as a kid, like I didn't have those same experiences. But I also was traveling the world at nine years old. You know, I had like my little wallet of, you know – all the different currencies. And oh I was so God. proud of myself, yeah. like the Italian lira and the German mark, Australian, uh, Austrian uh, shilling. And I, you know, it was like, I was very independent and I was proud of that. Even though I missed a lot, I still learned a lot. I wouldn't trade it. I think I get sad more so sometimes that I missed on the educational part of school, not so much the socializing. Cause yeah, you know, you can do that anytime. You really can't. I <laughs> do it again. Life is about choices though, right? Like you make choices and you, and sat, for it, even like, you know, that's like, you know, that's a microcosm of of everything in life, right? Yeah. Like, if you want to have this, you have to sacrifice that. Like, yeah. nothing in life is just like free for all. Yeah. Especially at this level of what you're talking about. Yeah. What was the one quality that you think is why you were able to make it to the level that you did besides the work ethic and the drive and the grit? I mean, it was a lot to do with grit. I think... I also, my dad would say I was mentally tough, mm-hmm. you know, and he would say, he said that to me so many times as a kid, like you have to be mentally tough. And, you know, I, as a kid, you don't really know exactly what he's talking about. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do the push-ups, you know, I'll, I'll do the, the running, you know, and that's tough, you know, but you don't really know what that is until later in life when things really get tough. And then, you know, you, you that's a quick way to separate yourself or not. Right. Or not, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's sink or swim. And, and so, you know, I had to figure my way through it. And, and I think that mental component, like being, being mentally very strong was something that separated me from the pack. And also like that all the injuries that you endured and still had the resilience to come back and go. Like, that's what I think makes you like, forget about distance skiing in general. Like, I don't know anybody. Like, that's how I know you. Like, know of you. Seriously, like, I don't know about skiing people, like, as yeah. much as I would other sports. Yeah. But, like, the fact, like, how do you even, like, train for that type of your, of that stuff? Like, how do you teach people how to have that ability to fall and then have the confidence to get right back up again and try again and not let that deter you from, from keep on trying and trying? I mean, listen, life is about falling and getting back up. That's what life is. And I think that's what sports teaches kids very well. Mm -hmm. It teaches them how to fail. It's not about the winning or being the best at something. It's about I failed at something, but that's okay. We're just going to pick ourselves back up and keep going, keep trying. And I felt a million times in skiing. You know, some of them were very bad. Some of them were not that bad. But, you know, it's, it's about that process of, you know, don't let it hold you back. You know, otherwise you're never going to do anything in life. You know, if you're always afraid of falling, then you're, you're not actually living. You're not skiing. You're, you're, you're just living in the past. So I'm, I'm very quick to forget about mistakes. I learn from them and I move on. Like, was there ever a time when, like, in all of that time that you fell and you were injured, that you had any self-doubt or that you were like, you know what, like, I can't do this again. It's, it's too much. It's too hard. This injuries, like you had the, those neat, like you had some crazy shit happen some to you. Some stuff. Yeah. 
I and know. like it didn't ever, but you're still up there doing it and then you win again. I mean, like it's li- like it's legit crazy. I never thought that I couldn't do it. I was worried that my injuries, my, when I blew out my knee for the second time, I was worried that my meniscus was too damaged and I wouldn't be able to ski the way I wanted to again. I never thought oh, I can, I'm not capable of coming back. And then once I'm on the snow, you know, that's my happy place, right? You know, and, and that's why I work hard. I'm passionate about what I do. I love what I what I did. You know, I I loved racing. There was no part about it that I didn't love, even the hard work. You know, it 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 was not just about the winning, but the journey. Yeah, and it shaped me into who I am, and it's why I fought so hard to keep what I love. You know, I would do anything. You know, work as hard as humanly possible to come back from my injuries because I was being taken away from something I, I love doing. And like you just said, you just like said something that was, I think, very true. And I can, and very, it's, it's for anybody, like, that's who you are, right? Like, how do you even separate like your Lindsay, like regular Lindsay, this normal person from like this, like crazy legendary skier, like that is your identity, right? So if you're not doing it, and now you're not even doing it because you retire. Like, I can't imagine on a, like, like just on like a mental like level, how are you, like, how do you cope with that? Or how do you kind of transition from that to now? It's been really hard. Yeah. It's been really hard. I mean, you know, I always knew that my career would end at some point. You know, every athlete, their career comes to an end. But, you know, to not have something that you love doing so much, not having that there anymore is is really hard. And And I had to figure out what is my identity mm-hmm. outside of doing what I love. You know, I it's... For me, I had the analogy of skiing was my son and mm. everything else revolved around it. What time I woke up, what I ate, how many, you know, business deals I did or, you know, interviews I did or how much, how many hours I spent in the gym, that all revolved around skiing. So every decision was actually really easy to make because skiing was always my number one priority. Wow. And so when that, when I literally went to bed and woke up and the next day it was gone. And I'm like, whoa, okay, well, I have all these things. I have, I have all these amazing opportunities. How do I, what do I do? How do I organize it? How do, you know, what's the priority? What's my passion? Who am I? You know, is a lot to take in. It took me like a year and a half to really get like my feet underneath me. Really? That's it? I thought it'd take way longer than that. Like that's. Oh, that was a long time for me. I move at a fast pace. Exactly. I was going to say, like, I forgot who I was talking to. Right. Like, it's like dog years. Like, a year and a half for you is like 12 and a half for most people. Literally. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. So, like, where did you, what did you figure out? Like, who are you? Like, what is your identity without having that? Well, you know, a lot of people said I need to slow down. You know, it's, it's not good to lead such a fast paced life. And I realized, why is it bad? Yeah. Why can't I work really hard and go after things that, you know, I want to achieve? Right. And so I've really leaned into that. You know, I, I felt I felt like I was being pushed, you know, to stop doing things that I loved. And now, you know, I realize that, again, that's that's who I am. That's my personality. And I also, th- through, you know, therapy, I'm like, what is it about skiing? What is the feeling that I get from skiing that makes me so happy? And I've I came to realize that, it's the feeling that anything is possible. Mm-hmm. So when I stand on the starting gate, I look at it as this opportunity. You know, any I can do anything I set my mind to. And, you know, when you work hard at something, like, you can do it. And that's what I miss. So I try to find that in things that I'm doing. And 
it's not my identity, but it's what drives me. And I'm always the same person that I always have been. Like, I'm just a girl from Minnesota who likes skiing fast, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, yeah. And skiing's not my identity, but it's also, like, part of me. And I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, it's so interesting because, like, when people would talk about you to me, like Brad or whoever, everyone said the same thing. Like, she's so nice. She's so down to earth. She's a girl from Minnesota, like a normal <laughs> person, you know? And, like, I wonder, like, how do you keep your feet, like, on the ground? So, And it's authentic and it's real. I can vouch for it, right? Because when you've, when you've reached such highs like that and you've become, like, the best literally in the world at doing something and, you know, you don't know any different, right? Because, yeah. like, like you said, since you were nine years old, you were, like, doing all of this like you've never had like a regular life like most people in the world yeah right like how were you able to kind of be that way is it just because you had great parents I mean it has to be more than that um I think you know it's it's my family like my siblings definitely are like I don't care how many times you've won like like, I will always kick your ass you know like it's it's that type of you know love that we have and and I think you know, I go back to Wisconsin with my family and my cousins and, you know, my aunts and uncles. And it's just, it's all the same. Like, we're all just, you know, roasting marshmallows in the fire pit right. and, you know, talking about life. And it's it's all the same. Nothing, nothing changes. Like, I'm not any more special than anyone else just because I won a ski race. Like, we're all... We're all the same. And, and, you know, again, I think skiing, I ski because I'm passionate about it, because I love it, not because I'm searching for fame or, you know, my priorities, I think, have always been in the right place. And so I've, I've never deviated from like mm-hmm. my morals and values and, and who I am. And, you know, I, I don't know, all those things I think together is, have helped just, just maintain who I am. Did you have to retire because of your injuries? Yeah. Because I would have just, kept going. Yeah. Like it, that was basically like you would have kept on going for sure. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the year I retired, I retired in February of 2019. And that was I re- my last race to the world championships. I'd had three surgeries that summer and I crashed in November and I tore my LCL and I had three, three fractures in my tibia. So I was skiing on like nothing. And it took me a month so just to like of rehab just to get back to where I could ski like moderately okay. And then I had to train just to get back for like that last race. And so it was, I, I was, I felt like I was being held together by duct tape. Like I was, you know, yeah. I was hanging on by a thread. Legit, like literally, a thread. literally. So I, I knew when I crashed that last time in November, I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And that was in my documentary. That was yeah. kind of that moment when I'm in the hospital crying. And, and it, I like realized then like, this is, this is it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I mean, but so Lindsay has, it's a great, it's a great documentary, by the way, on HBO. It's Thanks. great. And your last book was called Rise. And the first book was called Strong as the, the Do Beautiful. Which yeah. Is, I think hilarious. <laughs> I just wanted to say that, that I, I guess like you can still, technically you can still ski leisurely right like you're, yeah. you're, you're you're able to do all that but you talk a lot about your like mental health and depression and anxiety and I would imagine skiing was a really amazing outlet for that yeah right because and also it's a great distraction you have something to do I'm great at distracting myself yeah now. well yeah I, yes well I, I would imagine uh <laughs> what do you distract yourself with now then just 
fitness stuff? Yeah. Because you're a hardcore fitness person now too, right? Mainly. I mean, I I still work out as hard as I do because I need that kind of physical outlet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, like deep dive when I'm thinking about it, when you're racing, you're also very present. Like there's no room for social media or, you know, what people are saying about you or what I have to do tomorrow or like what business deal I have. You are so present. There is no room for anything else. Otherwise, you literally could die. So for me, you know, I miss that as well, just being able to block out all the noise. And when I'm in the gym, I have that same feeling. Like I am just focused on me working really hard and it's nice to shut. It's like my meditation almost. You know, everyone likes to do that Zen stuff. And I, I, my Zen is like kicking my own ass, you know, that's, that's, and, and people, you know, again, it's like, I don't know, some people criticize me for it, but I really don't care. It's this is what I need to do. I mean, that's to me, this whole, it's such nonsense. What, because you're, because you, I always say also, also, my meditation is like running because it zens me out and I get my best ideas and I think really yeah. well. A lot and, of people say that. Right? Yeah. And they're like, no, you have to sit there on a, on a pillow and do this whole, I'm like, everyone's I, different. Everyone's different. Yeah. I think it's so ridiculous to think that every, that should be working for everyone across the board. Correct. Are you able to run with the knees that you have? Absolutely to? not. No, you can't run. I haven't run, a, I've run once since 2013 and it was a horrible horrible idea oh i can only imagine I, like made it eight minutes and then i was like dragging my leg behind i me. can't even imagine so what do you do for cardio then now What's biking elliptical um and how much would you do a day rolling. i mean i minimum do 30 minutes uh, um biking elliptical minimum 20 and then i'll usually go an hour if i have the time but i i would rather do like 30 minutes and then do like a hot cold contrast right then like an hour and and no contrast i think for me and like the inflammation that i get in my knees and my body it's important for me to do that so So it's a time management like i do as much as i can with the time i have i was gonna say so like how much time are you dedicating to okay i want to know all of that stuff i want to know like exactly what your how your workouts because this is like now this is what i like to do right so do you like how much you're working out of like what is your daily regimen now and then but before you tell me your daily regimen now, I want to work chronologically. You said what you were doing when you were 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then when you were like hardcore, like in the midst of like really in it, yeah. what was the day in the life? Like how much were you training? What were you doing? Were you working on balance? Were you working on like hand-eye coordination? Yeah. Like I love all this. Have you watched Formula One? The, you know, these, um, I know those guys so well. I, I don't want to watch. You don't want to. I, I, it's I, like going to ruin me. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm the only person in the United States that's like watched Formula One since forever. But I, you know, I've watched like it's good for people to understand the drivers and like why it's so difficult. And, yes. You know, the complexities with the team and, and it's, it's very, it's very interesting. But yeah, if you're talking about like me in my prime, I was doing three workout sessions a day. I would work out before breakfast. Um, Which is what time? Like, give, I need the details. Okay, details. So I would work out usually eight to nine cardio, and then I would have breakfast. What kind of cardio at that? What would you do? Usually biking, usually interval biking so that I could get my metabolism going. Okay. It was more of like a, like a hit, you know, workout. Hit and, training for an hour? Yeah. Okay. But not, you know, I was, it was all of my cardio workouts were very controlled by heart rates. So, you know, I did like steady states. So, you know, you're going five minute intervals at 150 to 155 beats per minute or 
you know, I was doing threshold workouts where it's a shorter time, like two to three minutes at, you know, 170 to 180. You know, I, it was very, very specific and very specific reasons. You know, in ski racing, you're only actually skiing for about two minutes. Yeah. But you have to also sustain that type of endurance for the whole winter. So we obviously, you know, you, you, you train for three to four minutes, you know, at that same pace. So you can maintain that endurance throughout the season. So yeah, cardio in the morning for an hour, usually breakfast, you know, what would you eat for breakfast? Usually eggs, some sort of, you know, vegetable omelet, whatever, and fat, like it's almond butter and a banana as well, something like that. Now I do a lot of protein shakes after my workout. I still love working out in the morning, Okay. but protein shake right after. Then I would take a little break. I would do weightlifting, usually two hours of weightlifting at least, or else athletic training. So I'd be on the track doing uh, agilities, uh, sprints, hill sprints, uh, sled pushes, like kind of all that. Like track. functional stuff. Yeah, all that functional yeah. fitness. So Again, it would rotate between strength and, and functional fitness. And then I would have another snack break, a nap, and then I would do another afternoon cardio session. And then after dinner, either that, either I have a protein shake and massage or I would have dinner and then a massage. And what would you have for dinner? Um, protein. I try not to have carbs at night. So I would always have carbs um, in the afternoon. In the morning, sometimes I had oatmeal as well, but... Wow. Okay. So no how about fruit? Were you a fruit person though? Cause not really. it's not, that was never your thing. I don't know. I, I like the bananas and almond butter thing, but it's not really my thing. So then how would you like fruits and you, vegetables? I know. I, well now do you eat the, but you look, I mean, listen, you're still like in amazing shape. I mean, it's like, you're probably not doing the three. I'm definitely not as regimented. I, I mean, why would you be right? But but wait a second. So I'm like so fascinated with this. So then you do these three, like three workouts a day, then you're eating very precisely. So that even then, like you can't go out for dinners, you can't do anything. Cause I it has do to be sometimes, but only on in the, the weekend. Prime. So like, yeah, but you, okay. Seven days, there's seven days a week, obviously. So I would do those three sessions, probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, half day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, half day, Sunday off. Did you ever get tired? Like, were you ever, like, was your body tired? Like, no, just I had built up, like, you work out your whole life and you build into that. Like, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do three sessions today. No, of course <laughs> not. I, but, like, you you get that there's a physical, you know, in, endurance level. You're able to sustain that type of, you know, working out. I think there was a point in which I was working out too much. Yeah. But I was just winning all the time. So I was like, why am I changing my routine if right. it's working? But then, you know, obviously I got injured then and I had to change everything I did. So when you get injured, are you not able, like when you broke your ankle, like, I mean, that's a massive injury. Mm -hmm. Like how long does that take you out for? Like months, right? Like almost like six weeks. That's it? I mean, I'm in a ski boot, so it's kind of like a cast. It's kind of, yeah, you're right. So you can get away with it a little bit more. Yeah. I like the push bouncing. limits. It's always a negotiation. It's just, like, this is amazing. This yes. is like the part that I find fascinating. Like, like how, how I go into a doctor's office and like, okay, you tell me eight weeks, I tell you six weeks. You know, like that's we go back and forth, and every doctor knows that I'm going to push push the limits. But I always know, like I know my body well enough, and I also know medicine well enough. I I can read. If you ever get hurt, I'll read your MRI. Really? Like, I, okay, I I know what I'm talking about. Like I don't just you know blindly say you know. I don't care what you say. I'm going to come back faster. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing, and and I will read the MRIs, and I'll I'll know. I've made mistakes in my life, and I will not make that mistake again. 
Because you know what's interesting? Like, God, like, you know, you're very lucky because you, you did, as much as you've gotten hurt, nothing that was catastrophic. Like, going that fast. Yeah, I mean, people have been paralyzed. I, people have lost their legs. I, I've seen it many times. And, like, nothing, like, nothing like that, thankfully, has ever well, happened that's why, to you. That's my perspective. It could always be worse. That's a great, that's a great mindset. Always, no matter how bad of a day you're having, it can always be worse. That's a great mindset to have. Like that, and you really think this way all the time? Yeah. I mean, I, I got that perspective from my mother. You know, she had a stroke when she gave birth to me and she was oh, wow. disabled with her ankle. So she couldn't, her balance was really bad. So she couldn't run. She never skied with me. Like she, she really struggled oh. um, physically and, you know, she was brilliant. She's a lawyer, but, you know, she, because she couldn't do those physical things with us, you know, that didn't stop her from trying and it also didn't stop her from being positive. She was always positive. And so, you know, when I get injured, I'm like, well, if I have surgery, if I work hard, I can come back. My mom doesn't have that luxury. So I owe my mother and myself to push myself to get back. See, I, I love that. I love your attitude and your mindset. And what I, it's also like it's because it's real, right? Like this is like, no, you're you're like a living proof of it. Like you, you actually live it. You're not just saying these words. Like a lot of people, like motivational people like, oh yeah, just la la la. They've never done a damn thing in their yeah. life, right? But you actually have. I mean, where did the depression and anxiety kind of start coming in? What At what age? And like, and it doesn't sound to me, I mean, I don't know you, right? Like that well, but it sounds like you're, you already have trained your brain to be very positive and to look at the glass you know, half full. Yeah. So like what was kind of happening that that was? It was when I was a teenager. You know, I, I was living in Park City by myself when I was 16 years old. Mm. And, you know, it was really hard. I had no support really. And I was really depressed and I was just pretty lost. And, you know, my depression like ebbed and flowed in my career. There are times when no matter how successful I was, I felt extremely alone. And, you know, also after so many injuries, you know, sitting at home in your bed by yourself in pain, it's it's not a great place to be. Right. So I think I've, again, learned different coping me mechanisms. And when I skied, skiing was an outlet for me. Like I find so much joy in skiing also because eventually when I was older, I used it as a crutch. You know, that was like my, that was me dealing with everything that I had going on. Like any personal, the reason why I, I, I always still was successful despite all the shit that was happening around me is because I internalized it. I used it as fuel. And then when I skied, I let it all out. Right. So that was my therapy. Totally. And then what is, and now is the therapy, and then do you feel like the anxiety has subsided because it sounds more circumstantial based on yeah. where you were in your life? I think it was pretty circumstantial. Yeah. Um, but again, like it ebbs and flows. And I think it's always, a, for me, I try to just have a balance. Yeah. You know, I, I've been, I've journaled since I was nine and it's just a way I didn't have anyone really, you know, especially when I was on the road. So yeah, it's like, that was how I balanced everything and I still do it. And so I think it's, everyone finds their, you know, their way of managing themselves. And so I've had different escapes in my life, but now I feel like I'm in a good place where I really, I'm very, I'm pretty balanced, you know, even though like if I, if my mother had died and I wasn't in the place that I was, I don't know if I'd be functioning. Right. Oh. You know, so I, I'm happy with, you know, what I've learned in my life to get me to this place where I'm okay. 
And what, like, what is, like, where are, like, where are you now? Like, I mean, I don't mean it more, I don't mean, like, physically, but I mean, you know, you, you know, you wrote, you write the books, you start a production company, you uh, invest in businesses, you're, you're very entrepreneurial with the goggles, and what else do you have, the goggles? I have my ski line. Your, your ski line. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm now an uh, advisor to a, of sports fund actually with Avenue Capital. So there's like a lot of things in the investment that's side. Amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Like Michael Strahan and Candace Parker and Steph Curry. And that's a great, that's great. Yeah, I'm really excited. Are you going to be doing like the sports vertical, I guess? Mm -hmm. of just we're, we're solely sports. So Avenue is like, you know, such a successful group and we're just specifically on this sports fund. Wow. So does that mean all investments that you do will go throughout Avenue or? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, at least for the sports side. Yeah, for the sports side. I still will have my individual, you know, investments. Like I invested in LAFC and Real Salt I, Lake. and I saw that. That's yeah. so cool. I love that. I love investing in women. I love, you're also a great, I mean, like legitimately a great role model for, for women, right? Because like I said, like there's so, especially like here and with social media and there's so many people who are posers or like they say these, they, they, they talk a lot. They give a lot of advice, but they've never lived it, worked yeah. it, done it. I think it's hard for kids to also decipher, you know, what that Barely. means. And, and there's so much disinformation and Instagram is not reality. And most people, you know, even like the last couple of days, you know, I mean, like, oh, you're everywhere. You're doing everything. You're so, you know, you live such a great life. I'm like, I'm fucking tired. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I, I'm so tired. I've been, you know, traveling nonstop and I love it, but it's also not glamorous. You know, it's, I'm trying to get from point A to point B as fast as I can to get to something else. And, and I love that. I love that hustle, but it is not glamorous and Instagram is not real. And so I, I, I don't envy kids these days because it is a very hard world. It's terrible. And especially even just talk about mental health, right? Like the men mental health has gone up. Like the it's hard for me as an adult to like mentally be okay reading the comments oh. that come on my feed. And especially terrible. for kids, that's come. those bullies are coming from their inner circle. I, I at least can pretend that's some, you know, somebody living in their mother's basement, you know, 100%, you know, it's easy for me to pretend, but for kids like, no, these are, that's actually my classmate that I thought I was friends with. 100%. That's bullying me. It's yeah. really, really awful. And it's horrible. I, I do spend, do you spend a lot of time on social media though, or not really? I try not to. I mean, I can't say that I'm immune to it. I definitely have a lot thicker skin that I used to. I, I have to, but you know, I, I try to use my platform in a positive way. You know, I try to show people like how hard I'm working and what you can do. And, you know, with my injuries, you know, there's I get so many messages from especially from teenagers who, you know, are in high school or, or college sports and they've blown their knee out and they're asking me for advice or help and even professional athletes that are asking me for help. And and that's what I love. I think social media can connect you in amazing ways. It's not all about, you know, people hating you, but sometimes those are the only comments that you see. Right. And, and it's hard to shut that out of your mind as well. I agree. Like, it's always that way. Like, you could have a million positive. You just that, see the one. You just see that one negative, and that can just spiral you out of control. I try to – I have, like, a filter on, like, things that if people say, I don't see it. Could you – how do you filter out just negative comments? It's just keywords. You have, like, a keyword filter. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you were able to do that. Yeah. Oh, God, my gosh. Get, get into that. I yeah. Know, I, know, I had no idea. I should really kind of – can you tell me afterwards how to do that? Show, show yes, me? I will. I had no idea. Yeah. Because that would be so helpful. So people swear. They say, like, I hope you die. Like, that's – 
but it, but also some of this is just nonsense. Like these are people most of the time. There's some pretty fucked. There's pretty messed up people out there. It's that's that. It's actually dangerous more than anything. Like I find, like you have to be super, super careful because now people are so much more. You're easier attain. Like it's easier to. to that's get. why I have a defense dog. You what? I have a defense dog. You do? Yeah. I just I feel safer because like with social media and like everyone knows where you are and like it's just I I feel safer. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I didn't know this. So wait, so she's not here. I don't feel threatened. You don't feel. <laughs> I'm glad. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think that. I think that you could probably. She'd probably cuddle with you. But. Okay, I was going to say, but I feel like faith that you could probably like like demolish me yourself. Because like <laughs> I. But okay. But what's okay? What's your routine now? Then you said like you you don't. You're not as obviously as vigorous as you were, but. You work out every morning for how, how what's your Not routine every now? morning, but I mean, it's like, depends on travel. Like, for example, this morning. How um, long are you away now this time? This, in this location, I'm here for two and a half days. Okay. I go to another location for two days, another location for two days, and then I'm home. God. For Christmas, I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So well, yeah. That's... But it's good. I mean, like, I'm going to see my dad and on uh, on the weekend, so that'll be nice, or on Monday. I forget what day of the week it is. Uh, get to see some kids. I'm going to stop by this, the ski school and say hi to some kids. So it'll be good. But but like, for example, this morning. So I woke up at 7.30. I was on the bike by 8. I did 40 minutes of cardio. I did 10 minutes of sauna. I jumped in the pool, which is not heated. It's really, really cold. Like um, a cold plunge then, basically. Basically. Yeah. And then I took a shower and was on a, on a board call at 9 o'clock. I had hair and makeup come at 10.15. I was on the board call while I was finishing hair. And yeah, makeup. yeah, yeah. I left at eleven o'clock. Went to my first TV show, and then I had another podcast, and then I had you. What podcast did you do before me? Dwayne Wade. Oh, okay. Not like it makes a difference. I was just, <laughs> I was just wondering. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I want to take a quick break from this episode to thank our sponsor, OneSkin. If you're tired of spending countless dollars on skincare that doesn't end up delivering the anti-aging results you want, I'm totally with you. And this is because too many companies market their skincare as anti-aging without any evidence or studies to prove it. But this is why I like OneSkin, because all their products are formulated with OSO1. It's the first ingredient scientifically proven to reverse skin's biological age at the molecular level. In fact, in a 12-week clinical study performed by a third party, OneSkin's OSO1 face was clinically validated to strengthen the skin barrier and improve skin health biomarkers, leading to diminished visible lines of aging. It does so by switching off sensitive cells associated with aging. I've seen dramatic improvement in my skin and the signs of aging have practically diminished, well, not completely, but you know what I mean, by using one skin. It honestly, the results have actually been pretty remarkable. So if you wanna buy skincare that actually works, and provide you with the anti-aging benefits you're looking for, you should try OneSkin for yourself. I promise you will not be disappointed. Try it for yourself now by heading over to oneskin.co and use code HUSTLE15 for 15% off your entire order.
you do the red light? Do you believe in the red light for like a like a what red light? Like in general, like infrared, like infra- No, just like red light therapy. Like, would you ever? You know, I like I have a bad whatever like wrist, ultraviolet. Whatever. No, just like a red light. Like infrared, I guess you would call it, it. Well, I have like an infrared light set, like sauna. Those, you know, yeah, that's infrared. Yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about a red light for your face. Like, do you ever do any red light for injuries, for inflammation? Well, listen, I, I think there are some strong enough lasers or red lights, however you want to call them, that can stimulate healing. Yeah. Is it going to fix you? Absolutely not. No, they're not going to fix you. No. Sure. Is it going to make it feel slightly better? Maybe. Is it worth it? Probably not. Probably not, right? Like there, if normally if if you have a problem, like if you have a, if you have pain somewhere, it's usually coming from somewhere else. So, and normally I would say most people can't figure out what where that is where it's coming from. So you yeah. need to go to uh, that's a hard thing. I can't even recommend somebody or something because most people won't be able to figure it out. But chiropractors are pretty good at figuring it out. Like when my rib goes out, yeah, it's because my right hip is too tight. It's pulling me. Yes. Forward. So you, you know, go, but that to me, is, it, I agree with you. But you have to be, you have to go to someone who's really good I know, and knowledgeable, and that's the really hard part. So sometimes I just say, you know, manage it the best you can because your your body will adapt. Unless you can really dig in and do the therapy to get it back, you're better off just kind of adapting to the way it is. Unless it's pain, it's super painful. But like when my ribs go out, it's really painful so i have to figure it out that's really painful do yeah. you ever get sciatica no you ever get that Mm-mm. do you prefer sauna or the cold plunge what do you think is a better like a like a, a more like a better modality if you had to pick one or the other well so you're not supposed to do cold plunges after you weight lift right uh, right because it it doesn't it doesn't it's, it stops you. so it, when you you're actually tearing your, your muscle mass, yeah i thought it helped it so also it stops your bleeding so it restricts your your veins so like you're not you're not able to recover. You're not able to repair. So it's like you're not building anymore. It stops. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Say that again because that's interesting because I want to make that into a, a clip for people because... I'm not a doctor, so... No, d- but... You're probably no more than it, m- most doctors, by the way. But say that again. So if you... And this is what my trainer told me and I believe everything he says. Um, <laughs> but if you go into a cold plunge after you weight lift, it's... it's you're, when you weight lift, your muscles are being torn apart. You're actually tearing your muscle... And then it rebuilds on top of itself to make it even stronger. So if you jump into a cold plunge right after, you're stopping not only the like the tearing, it's it's bleeding, your muscles bleeding. It's not gonna be able to repair itself. Like it's not gonna be better than what it was. Right, right, right. Okay. It's gonna stop the healing. So normally you, you should get in a cold plunge, you know, like after a cardio. Cardio's fine. You're not building anything besides cardiovascular strength. Mm-hmm. Totally fine to jump in the cold plunge. The sauna is good, but sometimes, like for me, if if I jump into the sauna without the cold plunge, I'll get too inflamed. Really? Yeah. This is what, if what, you jump into the sauna without the cold plunge. Yeah. So okay. I'm a little bit odd in that in that with all my surgeries, when I go into a hot tub, when I go into a sauna, my circulation gets going, and then I my knee starts to <laughs> blow up. Wow. So I have to be like really conscious of how long I'm in there and make sure I get into the cold plunge after. And like I, I, my body is a constant, like it's a job. I I have to work really hard just to maintain it. And part of the reason, not only for my mental sanity, do I go into the gym, but I also have to, to not hurt. If I stop working out, I will literally fall apart. 
I mean, I, but you, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I, I feel you on that. But at the same time, you have to be so careful with all that. You got to work around so many of these injuries. I know how to do that. Right. So you've got to be like super you adapt. Yeah. yeah. So like, so to. I know what I have to do, what's, you know, if, if something's hurting, you know, where it's coming from, you know, when I am not able to work out enough, my back starts to hurt because I'm not doing the posterior chain work. You know, it's, it's all correlated and every, every cause has an effect. Mm -hmm. And when you understand your body better and, you know, through working out through therapy, you can self heal yourself in a lot of ways. Like you can figure out how to make things better on your own without therapy. And I have to do that because I, I don't have access all the time to therapists anymore. Right. But it's something that you learn. You know, it's not, I didn't just wake up and, you know, I'm a professional athlete, so I must know, you know, what I'm dealing with. A lot of professional athletes don't know. Right. They couldn't tell you why something hurts or, you know, I have back pain I, and they have no idea that it's coming from their hip flexors. And they, there's a lot of athletes that don't know. So it's something that you can learn. It's not just professional athletes. Everyone can learn more about their body and be more in, more in tune with it and, and feel better because you understand it better. Is there anything that you can like tell us, me, that work, that you found that works really well that maybe is not so mainstream like a sauna or a cold plunge that or is it, it's a different modality that yeah. like another type of honestly like because when you sit all like I sit a lot I'm in planes a lot you know most people sit a lot in the office yeah any type of like chest stretching like open your thoracic yeah is that changed my life because I'm always and I'm hunched I'm you know my hip flexors so if I can do like, you know, lunge stretching with like my, you know, my arms, like getting like my, my, uh, I don't know, lats, my lats, my lats, my chest, like my stretching my chest <laughs> helps me so much, Really, which is, I honestly never would have thought of that, but I have this amazing therapist, Lorenzo, and he, he's like a chiropractor. He's a freaking magician. But anyways, most of my problems come because I, my chest and hip flexors are too tight. Are too tight. So like stretching, it's not like muscular stretching. It's like your mobility. Mobility. Yeah. yeah. It's mobility stretching. Do you believe in supplements? Like do you take anything like collagen or, you know, <gasps> omega threes or what? I feel like I'm so broken that like that shit's not going to help duct me. Tape, yeah. <laughs> like I'm rather just tape. like duct tape my knee together. Yeah. I mean, I do still take like collagen and my protein powder and I, I do B12 and like vitamin D3 just because in the winter yeah. I don't see the sun enough, but nothing like nothing more than that. I could get more into it, but I honestly, and a lot of people, a lot of studies, a lot of doctors tell me that it does help, but I honestly just don't think it does. Yeah. So. You know, it's so interesting. I find because I find that the biohacking group of people, I speak to so many of these people and they'll tell you 97 things that they do in their morning routine where it's such a long list where it's it's practically dinner time by the time they finish their morning Most routine. Most people don't have that kind of time. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, and it's so unrealistic. Yeah. But the people who are actually like you, let's say, it's like they don't buy into this. They don't believe in that. Like a lot of it's like a moneymaker, really. You know what I mean? Like it's the basics that really work. Well, everyone wants to be young. Everyone so, wants to be young. Exactly. There's Being a lot included, of money but... to be made. You know, people want to profit and, and you know use you for that. And and honestly, it's like you got to live your life. What there's a there's a balance. You know, take care of yourself. Yes, eat right. Like you know, do the things you can do. But also like have some ice cream. Do you eat ice cream? Yeah. You do. Yeah. Like how often are you eating ice cream? 
like my friends for my birthday, they Instacarted me like eight cans, containers of Ben and Jerry's. Did you eat them all? Not all of them. But like I would sit down, you know, and I'm like I have really bad day and I'll watch Law and Order and I'll Law just like order. go to town. Yeah. It was something like my like my family always did together. It was like my both my parents were lawyers and it was the only thing we ever did was Law and Order Saturday Night Live. And for some reason, like, it makes me feel better. Right. Like, Olivia Benson, Mariska, now that we're friends, like, it literally makes me extremely happy. Wow. That, like, she makes me feel better. That is amazing. My family would watch Gold. Me and my sister or my mom, my dad never watched them, Golden Girls. And it's because of that. It's, like, it's so nostalgic. Yeah, it is if nostalgic. I see it on TV, yeah, exactly. now I still, like, it makes me feel I know. so Good. much better. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you're not someone who's like, I'm a vegan. I won't eat this. I'm like an intermittent faster. It's like balance, you know, like. Uh, Are you an intermittent faster? No. Okay, good. No. Thank you. I, the only one thing person I, on this podcast isn't. The only thing I do, I would highly recommend, like I did the um, the glucose testing. Mm. I did a couple yes. months of that just to like see, you know, what my what my body was reacting to. One thing that I recommend not doing is eating any food on a plane ever. Because of the of the high sodium, or is it? Because- I don't know what they're putting in it, but it is. It did not sit well with me. My that is like I could eat three gallons of ice cream and it wouldn't spike my insulin as much as like anything I ate on an airplane. Really, like any like, did anything. So, so like I don't know what they're putting in it. I don't know any airline. Does, I'm not naming any. Like it was anything that I touched, and I don't know. Some people say it's because it's high altitude, which yeah. I think is totally BS. I think it's mainly just there's preservatives and and sugars and because they you want it, they want it to taste good of course. It's just all these extra things and my insulin just spiked so high so i do not eat on planes i always pack my own food that i carry with me even if it's a short flight i'll just have some almonds but i never eat on planes that's a great tip actually that's a really great tip lots of water yeah and also because you can feel it right like you feel when you eat that oh, food it feels so bad like if i'm if something happens and i don't have my food and i'm starving and i have to eat something i feel horrible yeah. No, I totally agree. It's it's and it's like you feel horrible for like days after too. Yeah. It's not just like for like an hour. And my knee like my knee oh, swells, yeah. you know. My knee is like it's kind of like a little like health meter. I, I was gonna say it must be, right? Like yeah. that's crazy. I tra- travel you, too much, like any of the any of the things, drink too much wine. It's just it's like Do you drink do you drink alcohol often, not often? Uh only tequila. Lobos. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Only tequila. That's right. Yeah. What's it called? Lobos. Yeah. And I'm an investor. You are? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it a premium uh, tequila? It's premium. Yeah? Yeah. There's. I mean, they have, you know, Mezcal and Añejo, Extra Añejo, Hoven, Reposado. See, after, if I, I'm not a drinker, but if I do drink, that's the only thing I'll it do. It doesn't make me swell. I check my insulin. Like, it's the only thing that doesn't spike me. I used to be a really heavy gin and tonic or gin and ginger ale. Mm. And gin, I love gin, but it's a pretty big depressant. More than, like, vodka? Yeah. Really? Vodka is just alcohol and water. And so what is gin? Like, what's isn't that the same? I mean... I don't know. I, there's It's a longer fermentation, and there's also more sugar in it. So that that's why it becomes more of a depressant? Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Really? To my knowledge. I didn't know that. How about whiskey? Don't, I, I know don't nothing quote about me on this podcast, but I might have. I don't to know about whiskey, that. but I, I'm 99% sure that's accurate. 
Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you eat every meal. So you eat your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner. You eat yeah. meat. You eat chicken. You eat everything. I eat and meat. I, I eat vegan. Like I have Beyond Meat. I have just eggs. I, I have a balance. Like I'm not. You're not crazy about the food. No. Were you ever when you were in your prime, prime training? Like did well, you ever like, get body issues or body image issues? Yeah. Because I would feel for like. Sure. I, I when I won the Olympics, I you know I was on. I started to be on like red carpets for things, and I'm like, I look around me, and like I don't look like anyone else here. And, you know, I would go do fittings and they're like, mm, yeah, this sample size doesn't fit you. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Can I wear something? Like, yeah. you know, it was, it was definitely apparent that I wasn't the norm. And I definitely had some body images, body image issues after that. But it was only like two year stint and I just was like, F it, I'm good. How did you get over it, though? That's like one thing that I would think. I, would... I lost the World Cup title by three points and I got over it real quick. Really? Yeah. So do you think that was a, do you think that affected yeah. your really? I, did. I didn't eat as much as I should have. And I just, I was more conscious of the way I looked instead of just working as hard as I could. And I definitely think it had an effect, especially in the beginning half of my season. And I lost by three points and and it was uh, a tough pill to swallow, but I, I got over it pretty quick. And then ever since then, you're like, I'm not doing like, I'm that not, anymore. I'm not, you know, my body has a purpose and I want to win. And, you know, if I don't look the same, that's fine. Do you know, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I remember like the, I, like the things that, you know, you kind of hear in the back is like, you were st- like, you were known to be like the hottest like girl athlete you don't you're looking at me like i'm crazy you were like don't you you must know you must have heard this you're like sports illustrated swimsuit you did the maxim stuff yeah but like no maxim stuff i'm also like i don't know i'm not i don't have like a you never heard this before this can't be the first time you're hearing this no i don't view myself in that way but okay i'm happy to be like i'm happy that you know a strong athlete is in like swimsuit issue because I think that's important. A hundred percent agree with you. But I don't look at myself as like, ooh. But you don't remember like, maybe it just because in, in the zeitgeist, you know, you hear these things and it's because it's you, you don't realize it's you. You know what I mean? It's like that was you, that's, that's you. Yeah. But that's how it's interesting when you hear girls like yourself who had a bot like who had that body image or you had that like a little bit of that stint of insecurity with you how you looked when you're obviously so beautiful i mean you really are and it's that's all, it's and, all in the eye of the beholder it's not obvious yeah but that but i'm telling you like that's like that was like the you were like the hot like super hot girl athlete you don't but remember that, this no Do you but remember? but like am i um, this is yes. also the problem. Am, am I like, do you know me more for that or do you know me for winning? I know. I, I personally, I, rem- I remember you for being like the, like a badass. Like if there's going to be a real female badass, it would be you. Like, that's what I remember. Cause this girl was like re- fear. Like, that's how I remember I can you. Accept that. Fearless, I can accept that. resilient. Cause I remember you just kept on coming back for more, more, more. Like you would get hurt. Like I thought, wow, this, if talk about a role model for women and for girls and for young girls, this is like, there's no one better. 
because like you would show, like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if you, this, if you had, if you got knocked down, got injured, you got hurt, you got right back up. And not only did you get back up, you proved that you can still be, a, you can still win. You can still do all these things. Yeah. Like to me, that's what makes you legendary in my mind, because no, it's the truth. And so like, I have a little girl and funnily enough, I think that you're on, there's this app called I actually, you have to get involved in this app now. Oh gosh. It's called Legends. Okay. And it's, oh my, you should be, I'm not even joking, you're perfect. The, the app is basically a confidence app for oh. kids. No way. Yeah, and you do five minutes of this, these, these very specific training sessions, and it helps build children's confidence at a young age because it starts when you're young. Yeah, of course. And they have all the best, like, like the people from Scholastic and all these people wow. who help put it together. And they, they start them by giving people these, like, very powerful stories of people, like, role models. Like, they did a Michael Jordan one. I really believe that you are you are one of them well i honestly i want to like get in touch with them no i have my foundation like our purpose is to help underserved girls and like empower them yeah through scholarships and programs so i've been trying to find a way to build a community of girls and empower them and i want to yeah i'm gonna get put a, you, i want this app i'm telling you like you would be a perfect person to be partnered with them because with your foundation especially because you are like 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 you are the legend that they are talking about. <laughs> but like, I, I will tell you, because like my little girl, she's eight years old and it gives her, like she wants to be a dancer. Like, you know, she's eight years old. Yeah. And she hears these stories from women and girls who've gone after their dreams and like actually like accomplish them. And it changes their their mindset. It yeah. changes their brains. And she believes now that she can be yeah. a dancer. Or she perspective. Can, it's all perspective. Yeah. I want to get you in touch with them. Okay. I really want to do that. No, I'm, I'm not to be on it, but like, I want to give that to my girls. You should have I me, mean, how big, so can you just tell me, I know it's probably like, I got, I'm going to wrap this right after this, but I want to hear about your foundation. Cause I think it's a really beautiful thing that you're doing. Thanks. Well, we have scholarships and empowerment programs for underserved girls and we've given over a million dollars in scholarships. Um, wow. I'm at every camp. So we have these like weekend camps where we have a curriculum, um, our own curriculum. We just developed our own curriculum and we just basically teach them about grit and like how to be confident and build good friendships. And, and we'll also talk a little bit about like financial literacy and cyberbullying, like just giving them the tools to be able to navigate life and tell them that they can. You, you wouldn't believe how many kids that I've spoken to where actually their parents told them they'll never be good at something and they quit you know they they'll quit soccer because one person told them an offhanded comment like they're not good at it totally you know and they're so sensitive and especially in this world with social media like one little comment and they're done and so i'm trying to give them the tools to be able to reframe that negativity and you know allow themselves to believe in in, in what they're doing and who they are so I don't know. It's more than just scholarships. It's it's really about empowerment. What would be the one tip you would tell young girls, young people who have self-doubt, that they didn't have a dad like yours who said, you know what, let's do this. Let's let's write out a 10-year plan. Well, my dad wasn't always there. And there are a lot of people that told me that I couldn't do it. And the if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. So you have to believe in what you're doing. And it's easier said than done. But if you truly want something 
then you have to believe in it and you have to go after it, which means working hard. A lot of kids, especially kids, expect that when they, they say they want to be something, it's going to be manifested and magically appear. Nothing in life is easy. We just have to work hard to get to where we want to go. And if we fall and we get back up, then that's it. I love that. Thank you. My God, Lindsay, I'm so happy that you came on this podcast. No, seriously. I, <laughs> I'm so glad we got introduced to each other. I, I really am. Like, I love, I, I think you're so inspirational in a, like, really, I really do. For old women, too. I, I think it's amazing because you are, like, you're just such a great role model for someone who says they're going to do something, follows through, does it, shows people that they can. I really think, like, you're just, you should be very proud of yourself. I'm serious. It's amazing. Well, I'm thankful that I had a good family teaching me. Yeah, but you know what? Like, true. But you really, like, you really are it's super inspirational. And I've never really, I, I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe, I'm not just saying that because you're sitting on this podcast. I don't podcast. think you're the kind of person that would say that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> at all. At all. So, so I appreciate it. Thank you. No, it's amazing. Guys, you have to watch the HBO. I, I, I love all those kind of documentaries, but like yours is really great. And her book is Rise. Of course, the other one, Strong is a New Beautiful. And the Strong is a New City. city. <laughs> and, Read them in tandem. We should do like a buy them, buy we, them in both. We should like, do buy like, them together. Who's like, your publisher? HarperCollins. Okay, mine was Random House, but that is hilarious. That's really funny. And you know what I would always tell people? Oh, sorry. Okay, guys, so get her books and we'll we'll, we'll check you out later. Oh, also, uh, on social media, what is your handle? It's just my name, Lindsay Vaughn. There you or go. Or Lindsay Vaughn Foundation. Oh, yes. The Foundation, which is amazing. Thank you. With an E. Oh, with E. We, that's true, because I, I always would, I spelled it with an A and I couldn't, yeah. I got screwed up. It's a thing. It's, it's with an E. It's an, yeah, I know. <laughs> and two N's, right? Yes, V-O-N-N. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.